Hey, Foundry Church, welcome and thank you for joining us today as we lean into week five here in our series on wisdom. And we're looking today at uh, at a one of the essentials that we want to pack uh, to go along with us on this road of wisdom. And I want to ask something. It'll date me a little bit, um, but I'm going to do it. Who here remembers what it was like before TV had, uh, television had the pause button? Anybody? Oh, like, you know, millennials will be like, oh, you just don't understand how stressful it is to be one of us. No, you don't understand. You don't know what it was like to be a little kid and your parents are like, we're going to Valentino's Pizza. It's a place my parents would go to. And they literally cooked the pizza on a hot rock under the sun. It took forever. And you knew that if you didn't get your pizza on time, you wouldn't get home in time to see must-see TV, right? For us, when I was little, Dukes of Hazzard, um, the, the Incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby as Bruce Banner and Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. It was awesome. And then Linda Carter was Wonder Woman. I'm not saying I had feelings for Wonder Woman, but I super liked Linda Carter as a little boy. And if you missed those shows, you never saw them again. Ever. That was it. It was like it was on once. And you're like, did you see that episode? You're like, when people are like, did you know who shot JR? JR got shot. And anybody who doesn't get that, you're who I'm talking to. You don't know what it's like not to have the pause button on your TV because literally you'd be watching a show and your mom's off in the corner doing like stank leg, trying to hold it in to run to the bathroom when commercials hit. There was no pause button, right? Preach all day. It's super true. And all you people who can stream what you want on your phones and all these computers and TVs that are smart. My TV was dumb as a box. My TV was a box. And you couldn't pause anything. I don't know why I'm so passionate about this. But it matters, right? We look at it and we're like, oh, there was no pause button. The pause button is amazing on live TV. I love it. Fast forward commercials. You can do all these things. The pause button matters. And when we look at our scriptures, and we're going to have a number of scriptures that you read this week in Proverbs uh, in your devotion, we're going to touch on those. And we're going to look at another story um, from 1 Samuel 25. And when we look at these, what we're going to do is we're going to see that wisdom is depicted as a woman. And it's a woman who is offering free counsel and guidance to any who will listen and take what she says and kind of apply them to their life. So today we're looking at this at um, 1 Kings chapter 25, 1 Kings, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 25. It is a story about David. Now we know King David, this is the the David that becomes king. But the reality is um, that David, before he became king, was um, he was a shepherd who was then in the court of King Saul. He killed Goliath, the giant. Eventually, Saul becomes jealous and chases after him. This is in the latter stages of David's um, life on the run. He's a fugitive from the king who is constantly trying to kill him. And David has about four to 600 men living with him in the wilderness who fled from the king and are are following David and his mighty men. And David um, encounters um, a guy named Nabal, who is, uh, he is a very wealthy individual who owns land in the, in the Carmel region in, in Judah. And then his wife, who is named Abigail. And it says of Abigail, she is intelligent and beautiful. 
So I think Linda Carter's a good example of like what you should picture. Not the new Wonder Woman. Nope. The original. Um, so like that, she's just this intelligent, beautiful woman, and, um, and that's what's said of her. And then said of Nabal is this. Her husband, Nabal, was surly and mean in all his dealings. He was a Calebite. So he was surly and mean. And I'm not going to lie. Um, when I hear someone's beautiful, intelligent, and their husband's surly and mean, I'm like, I know you just thought, like, compared to Erica and I, that's rude. I'm not in a ball in this story. But um, here's what I want to do. I want to look at this story. I'm going to talk you through some of it, and we're going to read some passages out of it. So we pick up this story, 1 Samuel chapter 25. It says this. Now Samuel, the prophet, had died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him in his home at Ramah. David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, so this is where we go into it, a certain man who was very wealthy named Nabal, he lived in that area and he, was, he had his shepherds out and he owned a thousand sheep, a thousand head of sheep and a thousand head of goats. He was very, very wealthy and, um, and he, was, he would send his shepherds out and he was married to this beautiful, intelligent woman named Abigail. And David, while he was in the wilderness, had heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So this would be like a farmer who's taking in the grain harvest. When you have sheep, you not only eat them, which the sheep are like, whoa, I thought it was just for wool. Nope, you're good in a gyro. Um, but, uh, but you would shear them, then you take the wool and you make rugs, you make garments, you make all kinds of things out of it. So when you imagine shearing a thousand sheep, that was a big job, and that was a big deal, and that was their money-making time, right? The sheep are all puffed up with their wool, and it's time to clipper them down and, um, and get them all cleaned up and send them back out to pasture, which I always kind of felt bad for sheep because you're like all warm the night before, and then someone shaves you, and you're like, seriously? Back out into the desert, you know, and off you go. But it's sheep shearing time. And David sends some of his messengers to Nabal because remember, Nabal is having, this is his cash cow time. He is making his money. And he goes to him, they go to him, and they say to him, uh, and this is a paraphrase, my Lord, we come in the name of David, who, and David would have been known at this time, who has been out um, among your sheep, uh, your shepherds, and your flocks in the region of Paran and in Carmel. And while we, were, while we were out there, we protected your flocks and your shepherds so that not one thing from them was missing. Now, if you would, would you take care of us? Would you give us some of what you have for us to, you know, some provisions? They're, they're asking them, would you, would you give us some food? Would you maybe give us some wool? Would you help us out? We did a service for you. Would you return that? But there's another underlying principle that is a little bit lost for us here in the Western world, especially in the private kind of lives we live in this modern day and age. There is an ethic of hospitality in the Middle East that exists to this day. I was in Lebanon in 1994, and I will tell you this. People put out whatever they have to welcome you into their house. When you come into someone's house, there's coffee or tea, there are baked goods, they put something out for you um, and they welcome you in. They welcome you in. It's this awesome kind of uh, just ethic. So hospitality is a huge part of this Middle Eastern culture. And so what Nabal does next is shocking. 
because they came to him. He, what should have happened is the servants of David should have been wined and dined and well taken care of. But instead, Nabal turns and he says this to them. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Which means he knows who he is. He knows who he is. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. That is an underlying dig at the fact that David has fled from Saul, okay? So now he's taking personal jabs at David. Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men who are coming from who even knows where? So now he's saying, I don't even believe the fact that you were out watching over my flocks, David's, um, <laughs> David's servants are like, oh, dude, that is super not cool. And they kind of take off, right? And they head back. They go back and they report this to David. David looks at his guys and says, get your armor on. Strap your sword to your thigh. We're going to visit Nabal. I have done him good. He has repaid me evil for it. We're going to go pay this clown a visit, and they're headed off. But at the same time, a couple of Nabal's servants who realize he is surly and he is mean in all his dealings go to Abigail, who's beautiful and intelligent, and they're like, ma'am, um, Nabal maybe made a small mistake. He did this, and he, they relayed to her what he said to David's servants, and she was like, ooh, okay. Don't tell your master anything of what I'm about to do. And she got hundreds of cakes, like uh, I would say like biscuits, right? And raisin cakes and fig pressed figs and skins of wine and I think five prepared sheep. And she loaded it up and she headed out to meet David. And she did not tell her husband what she was doing. And when Abigail saw David and 400 men, David took four of his 600 men, strapped them up with swords and says, let's go, you know, remove things from Nabal. And he goes, he's on his way. She sees him. She jumps off her donkey. She bows down and she repents for what her husband did. And she says, and this, <laughs> this is awesome. She says this of her husband. Please, uh, verse 25, please pay no attention to my Lord. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name, and his name means fool. Oh, I'm like, maybe a marriage counselor. Maybe some conversation, because that's, that's a bare-knuckled shot right there, right? She's like, pay no attention to that guy. He is just like his name. His name means fool. Please forgive your, uh, your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for you, my Lord, because you fight his battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you. Going down to verse 29. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as, the, as a rock from the pocket of a sling. I love that. She's saying your enemies aren't gonna survive. God has a plan for you. Now verse 30. When the Lord is fulfilled, this is Abigail, when the Lord is fulfilled for my Lord, every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel. I mean, the prophetic tones in this. Like, where is she getting this information? From history, we're ahead of it, so we can look back and go like, yeah, that all came true. That wasn't true. Remember, David was a fugitive. This woman is speaking with wisdom and spiritual insight. 
When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him king and ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, please remember your servant. Like, who cares if she's pretty? This woman is like spiritually in tune and wise. Like think of those words. Um, My Lord, because of this, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering, the unbearable heavy load of needless bloodshed of having avenged himself. She speaks wisdom. And then we see David's response, verses 32 uh, and through 34. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and be blessed for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. So David was going to avenge himself, but because of her wisdom, he no longer is. You can see his wrath has relented. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male living in the house of Nabal would be left alive by daybreak. Wow. She spoke wisdom and it saved so many lives. It goes on to say that David then accepted from her the many gifts that she brought and the food and the provisions and when, when, so let's just take that. We have that moment. Now Abigail turns around and heads home. David heads back to his camp to meet his men who are watching the supplies, leads them back. Apparently they had a party, right? There was food, there was the other things. But here's what goes on. Abigail gets home and it says, Nabal is throwing a party for himself so lavish it was fit for a king. And when she gets there, he's just drunk. So she doesn't say anything to him that night. She waits till the morning, and when he's bleary-eyed and probably just doesn't want to, you know, why are the cats stomping their feet and all hung over and miserable, she says to him, by the way, this is what happened yesterday, and this is how I saved you. She tells him about David. She tells him about what happens, and it said he became as a stone. He kind of went into shock. Ten days later, it says the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. He, he struck Nabal and he died. And when David heard that he was dead, he said, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant, God has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Oh, that's awesome. And if you want the story to be even more awesome, uh, in the end, David marries uh, <laughs> marries Abigail. They, they like fall in love and everything, you know, very Pride and Prejudice, it's awesome. Um, so there's this awesome kind of like love story at the end of it, and, and you look at it and you're like, wow, what an amazing thing. But here's my question. Let's loop back to the pause button. Do you ever pause long enough to listen? I know for me, I, I struggle with this. I like moving forward. Even the other day in some decisions here in the church, I was ready to charge ahead same day with some things, and some of the leadership was like, well, wait a minute. 
can we pump the brakes and, and really set a wise plan going forward? I would much rather move through it and clean up the pieces or just move on from it. And wisdom speaks like, oh, hold on a little bit. Let's wait. Wisdom whispers self-control. Wisdom whispers where our temper, our emotions like to rage. When we want to rage out of control, wisdom quite often offers an alternative that allows us to let God vindicate whatever's gone on and our lives to still be used for God's purposes. And maybe, as Abigail said, we don't have to face the staggering load of, um, of our own retribution against someone else. Wisdom whispers self-control. But how do we hear that over the scream of our emotions, um, over the scream of culture, and over the scream of an ethic that says you better get yours, right? You better take care of you. Let's listen to a couple of Proverbs out of Proverbs 29 and one out of Proverbs 17. Let's tune our ear to listen to them because I think if we hear these scriptures, we, we can almost hear the influence of an Abigail-type person. This, the book of Proverbs was written after this story, right? A generation after this story took place. So you can see the firsthand kind of relevance and maybe even hear her, um, her own voice in the text. We can't say that she had the influence of it. It just seems hard not to connect those because she has wisdom. So let's hear this. Um, Proverbs 29.11. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. And we look at Nabal, and he just brings, he just vents his rage no matter what's going on. He's out of control. Whatever he feels, he acts like. Proverbs 17, 27, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even tempered. Can't you hear Abigail's voice? Kind of picture it as a sweet, soft southern voice with a little Holly Hunter edge. Like, it's this... It's this thing that says, like, look, a fool gives full vent to his rage. A fool just lets loose. Don't, don't do that. The wise bring calm. The wise bring peace. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. They don't just ramble on and vent their rage and do those things. What do they do? They have understanding and they're even-tempered. When we look at this, we ask the question, do we pause long enough to listen or do we give full vent? to our rage. I'll be honest, like I'm a verbal processor, I talk with Erica a lot, and this is one of the disciplines I've had to work on, because I can't hide my emotions. They are on my face. People look at me like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? Or, oh, you're happy. Like, I can't really hide that. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, I just know this, that um, one of the, the self-controls that I've had to work on in life is... Um, is not giving, uh, letting all my thoughts out, holding some things back, and, and letting God speak wisdom and temper and seize those things. Or see, not seize, temper and season those things in my life. Um, so let me ask this. How do you respond when wisdom speaks in your life? How do you respond when wisdom speaks into your life. Proverbs gives us a couple of examples of how we should respond and the way we want to engage when wisdom speaks into our life. When wisdom gives voice into the life we're living, how should we respond? Proverbs 9, 7 and 9, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Abigail 
did not go and talk to her husband, Nabal. Why? Because she understood that whoever corrects a mocker gets insults and, and has abuse heaped upon them. Why would she do that? She knew he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen. He wasn't wise. He wasn't willing to grow. He would not restrain anything. It goes on to say, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Isn't that interesting? Because David was red hot when he ran into Abigail. He had a sword on and he planned on getting it dirty that day. He was going to put to death many people and here's what we see happen. David, in a moment of rage, he is embracing his rage. There doesn't seem to be self-control but he proves himself wise in that when he is offered wisdom, he listens. He listens. When wisdom speaks into his life, he listened and very truly, he loved her. He ends up falling in love with Abigail. They get married. It goes on to say in verse nine, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. You know, one of the problems we have in our culture, and I'll just say this very bluntly because I don't know how else to, um, is a know-it-all society. One of my, one of probably one of my chief frustrations is when you're talking with someone and they say like, oh yeah, I was going to do that. Or I had thought of that too. And they never have anything to learn. They already knew because out of some well of insecurity, um, they can't be seen as not knowing. Well, I mean, I learn every day. I'm learning constantly. I am wildly ignorant on a plethora of topics. There is so much for me to learn in life that quite often you could talk to me about almost anything and I'd be like, oh, I didn't know that. Not because I'm wise, but because I understand that I'm not God. I don't have this massive breadth of wisdom. And what we need to do is reset our mind and reset ourselves to know that an emptiness of knowledge, if there's something you don't know and you can learn it, is actually an opportunity for growth. But to shield it and pretend you do know it and learn nothing is the hallmark of a fool. You don't need to know everything. It's okay, it's wonderful to learn and to grow. Let the Holy Spirit rebuke you and correct you, and it's hard. There are times in my life where I get corrected. Think of a hockey player getting put into the glass. It feels like that. I don't particularly like it. Sometimes it's embarrassing. But if I'm gonna grow out of me and into his image, that has to happen. I have to be willing to listen and to learn and become wiser still. It is not, and hear this, it's not an insult to be taught. It is not an insult to be taught. It is arrogance to think you don't need to be. And that's where we need to understand that you don't have to have all the knowledge, but if you find a place where you don't have it and you find yourself over the next few weeks being like, oh yeah, I was gonna do that, or yeah, I thought of that too, or you know, yeah, oh totally, I know that, and you're willing to do that, that's a good sign that you're lacking in humility and self-control to be taught. Let the Spirit convict that in your life just as... Um, as he does in mine all the time. Because honestly, and out of my own insecurity, I want to know everything. 
but I think I pretty much just confessed to everybody I know very little. Um, let me ask this question. Where is self-control missing in your life? Where do you lack self-control? Are you easily offended? Are you like, oh, how dare they? Nobody talks to me that way, or why didn't they say hi to me, or whatever it may be. Do you give in to all your cravings? Do you give in to all your cravings, be that food, um, entertainment? I mean, we call it binge watching. Binge watching where you just sit and you just mindlessly consume something. Do you give in to all your cravings? That doesn't make for a healthy life. Even if fitness was your craving, at some point it gets unhealthy, right? So we look at it and go, do you give in to all your cravings? The next thing is, are you easily angered or enraged? Are you easily angered? Is your fuse about that long and made of like, you know, plastic explosive, just whop and it goes, you're like, boom, you explode. Why? Well, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Are you very reactive and easily angered and enraged? Are you violent? Are you violent? I mean, it says that Nabal was surly and he was mean. You can imagine shearing the sheep if something happened and somebody bumped into him. You can see that he would smack somebody upside the head or he would beat an animal till it's lame. Why? Because he would give vent to his rage. And we're implying that, but the reality is when someone defines you as surly and mean, there is a violent component that goes with that. And there's a complete lack of self-control. Remember, how you respond to these questions will be, will um, really, your response to these things is whether or not you're a mocker, a fool, or someone who desires to be wise. I think in many ways we're all foolish and we need to grow in wisdom. And God wants to cut some of that mocking, foolish nature out of us to replace it with wisdom. A fool ignores correction. A mocker hates correction. A wise person loves correction. It doesn't mean they love the process. It means they can see far enough ahead to see the benefit of it. So remember how you respond to these. Being wise doesn't mean you never need correction. I know a lot of wise people and all of them respond well to correction. They don't always like it, but being wise means you listen to what wisdom is whispering, which means quite often it's not the loudest voice, but it is the most steady And the people I know who are wise listen. And they know what it means to press the pause button long enough to listen to what wisdom is saying. And quite often, we, like when you're little with no pause button, sit in the corner wiggling, just waiting for our chance to get words in, to reply, to do something. How many emails have you composed and you're like, maybe I should sleep on this a little bit, right? We're so eager to do something, we wanna march into it. But here's the thing, do we know what the pause button is? So I'm gonna ask this question again. And I want it to be heard by us because being wise means you listen to what whispering, what wisdom is whispering. So let's ask these questions one more time, but press the pause button long enough to hear what wisdom's saying. Where is self-control missing in your life? Are you easily offended?
Do you give in to your cravings? Are you easily angered or enraged? Are you violent? So now what? Now what? I know that you, like me, went through that list and probably flinched more than you smiled. I do not like this list. I don't like this list. Every point on it I need to grow in. Every point. Every point. And you may be like, oh, are you violent? No. But sometimes it lives in here. Sometimes there's, there's a love for that in my heart. And like I said last week, be careful what you let live in your heart. Be careful. I didn't say it, actually Jesus did. If you hate someone in your heart, you're putting them to death as it is. You're murdering them. Every one of these things on this list makes me go, well now what? What should I do now? We've paused long enough to listen. You know what sets you off. You know what kind of hits that short fuse and gets you going, what you're in need of, where self-control is most absent. You know what it is. So I want to invite you to just say, that, say it out loud. Or maybe just let your brain say it back to you. What is it? What's the thing that needs your attention? Write it down. Say it to yourself. I give in to all my cravings. It needs to stop. God, will you speak wisdom? God, I give in to my cravings. Will you help me just stop when a craving hits for whatever it is and listen to you? Even though all the endorphins and all the dopamine and all the responses like do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And you know how you feel afterwards, after you binge anything. Listen for a minute. Make a plan. The next time you encounter a situation, pause. And here's the deal. Pausing is awkward. Have you ever been in a conversation and you're like, so How you doing? And it's horrible. It feels terrible. But when you hit it, no matter where you are, this being in your bag, this self-control being in the, in the day bag you have to walk the road of life, it matters so much. Pause again. Ask God. Speak wisdom into my life. Instruct me. God, send your spirit like you sent Abigail into my life so that I can pray a prayer like King David did. When King David prayed, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He, God, kept his servant from sinning. That's the prayer we want to pray. And the way we get and grow in wisdom is this wonderful kind of, there's a dance in the text of Scripture with this that I absolutely love. There's a dance between the woman, Abigail, the Holy Spirit, 
the wisdom of God, and the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. All right, so I want to look at this for a minute and just ask, what's the connection? I think we can say this with great certainty. The Spirit of God, partnering with the urgency of the moment, compelled Abigail to an act of dangerous generosity and um, in a moment of fearful engagement. She didn't know what David would do to her. She was the wife of the enemy. So what we can look at and what we can say in this is that the woman was compelled and sent to someone who was justifiably enraged. Someone who was so mad and justified in their rage that whatever they did was okay in their mind. David was off his rocker, Matt. He was ticked. And he had 400 people to back him up. And God sent this woman. And I love that he sent a woman because the Holy Spirit in Scripture, now God, we, we are a monotheistic, one God, but our God is in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. Father is always referred to in the biblical text in masculine pronouns. The Son, always in masculine pronouns. The Spirit is also referred to in a masculine pronoun, but the Spirit is the only member of the Godhead to ever be referred to in a neutered gender, the implied feminine. And we can go back to the very first book of creation when God said, let us make, let us, male and female, he made them. In his image, he made them, which tells us this. There's a feminine heart to God. There's a feminine heart to God. And the wisdom Abigail speaks has a maternal-esqueness to it. It has this beautiful tenderness and vulnerability, but strength. I mean, the woman was strong. And she could stand up and lay it out before King David. And there's this beautiful interplay that we see in how God speaks to us in wisdom. And I think it's a kinder, more feminine tone. It's this beautiful moment of, I'm not going to scream to get your attention, but you want to listen to me. You don't want to stagger under the weight of your bloodlust right now. You don't want to live with this on your conscience. It's that maternal voice speaking into our life, the beautiful maternal voice of God. But what does it do? It bears fruit. And it says in, in the book of Galatians, we talk about the fruits of the Spirit. A life that is filled with the Holy Spirit naturally grows these things. And one of the things it grows is self-control. If you're struggling with self-control, I have but one remedy for you. Invite the Holy Spirit to fill your life. And ask him to speak wisdom and self-control over your cravings, over your temper, over your easily offendedness over your violence, whatever it may be. And then give some time and hit the pause button. Listen for that beautiful voice of wisdom to speak a different road that leads to life and to hope 
and transformation into the image of Jesus. Pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we thank you for who you are. Take this word, we pray, God, and use it to reconstruct our understanding of self-control. It's not just having regiment. It is being able to respond faithfully and obediently as your spirit calls us to. Help us tune our ear. God, I pray that you would tune our ear right now, this church, to be able to hear you whispering, even as our own tempers, our own cravings, our own desires, our own malice rages. May we hear your voice first and loudest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to close this week with a scripture from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, and the, the beautiful imagery of the Spirit of God as portrayed by the woman, Wisdom. It says this, wisdom has built her house and set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out servants and calls from the highest point in the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food. Drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. I will tell you this, my friends. When I read words like that, I see my testimony. Classifiably simple, if I'm honest. I was always a terrible student. I don't think I had much of a future in anything. Um, God had a call, and the Spirit of God called me into something. And for some reason, at that point in my life, I heard her voice, and I responded to the Holy Spirit, and I followed his call. And I will tell you this, it changed everything. And I invite you, I implore you, if you feel like simple, stupid, unwise, whatever, and you're like, oh, I'll never be able to do anything. I want to tell you, that is a lie from the devil. The Holy Spirit calls to us and will pour into us all the goodness of God and transform us into his image. He will use you beyond your capacity for his glory. If you're a mocker and just that cynical, mean person, it doesn't have to stay that way. If you're a fool who gives in to every um, desire and compulsion, it doesn't have to be that way. God can and does transform. Will you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as it says, wisdom, she cries out from the highest point in the city and she says, come. And that invitation is extended to you as it was and is to me. Let it be said of us that we are people who grew in wisdom, and one of the fruits of it was self-control. As you go from this place, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Grace and peace to you. Thank you for joining us today. Have a great week.